Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. Okay. Get this set. All right, here we go. Is it the wrong height, too? Not only was the microphone out of whack, it was in the wrong height. What's going on here, Reg? You're supposed to have this studio prepared. (laughs) I'm just giving you a hard time. You ready to go, my friend? Cool. Let's do this thing. It's Christmas week. We're excited. Let's go. Tis the season. The Yuletide is here. You psyched up? I am. Love this time. It's the most wonderful time of the year. All right, here we go. Ready? Put in the books. 396 is the number. I'll give you the three S's and uh, that countdown. You give me that music, and I will give you a Yuletide podcast. How about that, my friend? Ready to go? Good. Let's do it. Star, smile, strong. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. Your favorite podcast is there. It's us. Don't forget, listening is an integral part of the process here, but getting out there and telling your friends, telling your family, telling anybody that listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. That's part of the job, too. So get out there and let them know. Your loyalty and devotion. It's worth its weight in gold. If you like what you hear, you know you can always go to WGNRadio.com and go to the podcast prompt section and hit the prompt for this podcast. And it will fulfill all your sugar plum dreams. Podcast after podcast after podcast. Just keep loading more and scrolling down. Keep listening to where we were so you know where we're going. And right now we're going to episode 396. I don't know. It's not very often, but this podcast is posting today on Christmas Day. So, Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Back in October, back in October, I have this little Christmas ornament and its corresponding bigger uh, display size of the same ornament called the Christmas Countdown from Hallmark. Uh, 
and it's got a little digital readout, and you set the date that you are starting on and the time that you are starting the countdown. And once you hit activate, it begins to count down from that date to midnight of Christmas Day. And so, like, for instance, on Christmas Eve, then it's just down to hours. And then on Christmas Day, midnight, which makes officially um, Christmas Day, then after months or however, whatever you, whenever you start, a little message says, ho, 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 Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, and that keeps flashing until you shut it off. Now, I have to say, while I love this ornament, we saw it as a small ornament, as a tree ornament, and we bought it immediately many years ago. I would say it's over 10 years ago now. It could be more. But then, as an added bonus, they had this special large version of it, a good, you know, maybe foot and a half of this uh, countdown Santa. It's got the little... Uh, fireplace that's where the little digital readout is in the fireplace and then santa's popping out he's got a big happy smile and his arms are outstretched and it says on the on the snow that's on the little fireplace you know the snow always falls a little it is for you know for uh, artistic effect they always have the the snow kind of falling over the edges of the um of the fireplace it always looks so cool on there it says christmas countdown well the, the the stars were aligned. They must have known that that my wife and I are way into Christmas. They in, at this card shop. They had a drawing to win this display size version of the Christmas countdown tree ornament. You know, that's a little small small version, but this is as I said, a good foot and a half. It's it's a beautiful beautiful piece. If you're into Christmas, it's a beautiful piece. And so, you know, it's like, wow, you know. So uh, my wife put in, you know, her signed up for the, the lot, you know, for the raffle. And I think like a week before Christmas or something, they held the raffle. And, you know, when you put in a raffle ticket for something, you never think you're going to win, right? I have to say, I can't even say that anymore. Because I've actually won uh, more than a couple raffles. Um, as, as crazy as the odds are, uh, one time I, I actually won a raffle um, with a, with a with a fairly good amount of money. You know, you know, for a, a charitable cause, and and I was shocked to hear that I'd won the grand prize. But this was was almost as exciting. <laughs> it didn't cost nearly as much as I won the grand prize for. But to have this this big size Santa and this Christmas countdown on the mantle, oh, I, I already had a place for it in my mind. And then sure enough, we got a phone call about a week before Christmas that we won the raffle. I couldn't believe it. So that is a major fixture of the many, many Christmas decorations that we have around the house. I've had the the Christmas decorations up. I talked about this earlier in a podcast a few weeks ago. I've had the Christmas stuff up around the house now since November 13th. And you say, well, Jim, November 13th, 
That's crazy. I mean, wow. I mean, why would you have it up so early? Well, look at this. Here we are. It's Christmas Day. I'm going to be taking it down now. That's how fast everything happens. November 13th seemed early. And now as I talk to you today, today's the day. And now it's the countdown to decide. That's always a big decision. You have two big decisions in the holiday season. At least I do. The biggest decision is when to put the Christmas stuff up. But the even bigger one is when do you take it down? I love having it around. And that's why I put it up early. My wife and I were out, were out of town for a week, which is the point of today's podcast. See how I, I all this stuff is tied in. Believe me, it's very well scripted, <laughs> very well thought out. <laughs> if you only knew. But anyway, so uh, but yeah, when to take it down? Some people take it down like some people day after Christmas. I see live trees, boom, out on the the front stoop. People throw them out. We have an artificial tree, so we don't, we don't, maybe they do it just because the tree is falling apart. The needles are everywhere. I'm not sure what the motivation is, but you will see that some people, boom, once the Christmas day is done, Christmas things are gone. The lights are gone. I, I usually keep them up at least until the first week after Christmas. Um, traditionally, from a standpoint of the Catholic faith, which I grew up, uh, grew up in, you're supposed to keep, you know, Christmas, you know, the 12, do you know that the 12 days of Christmas are really, you know, we always think of probably, you know, we have our our society and our mindset is always about leading up to, a few weeks ago, I was talking about, you know, Casey Kasem counting down or counting up. I still don't know what the difference is. But anyway, <laughs> thank you, Craig, for the, the very um, dictionary version of what a countdown is. Uh, you got me thinking, but I still don't know if I agree with it. But anyway, so um, I... Uh, you know, I always decide, like, what, what do you do? Now, the uh, officially, the 12 days of Christmas are not the 12 days before Christmas. They're the 12 days after Christmas leading to January 6th, which is when the wise men came to see Jesus according to the story. So it's not the 12 days before, at least in my mind, I always thought that the, that the 12 days of Christmas re, you know, would, would refer to the 12 days before. And I never really understood like, well, what's so important, you know, starting to talk about, you know, December 13th. Why, why is that such an important day? Well, it isn't an important day at all. That's not why the song was written. <laughs> uh, you know, or, or, or you know, the song was written for the twelve days of Christmas is from Christmas on the first. Think about it on the first day of Christmas, right? It starts that way. If you dissect the lyrics, it makes complete sense. I never really did. I thought there was a season because in my mind, everything always we always lead up to the date, to the event. We rarely, and in our minds, the event is the birth. But accordingly to this, according to the the the, the real meaning, the it was when the the wise men appeared is is I guess officially uh, the 
an important day. So th- that song was 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 written in order to uh, celebrate the day that the wise men appeared after their long journey, traversing afar, if you will, um, to see him. And so on the first day of Christmas, right? It's Christmas Day. January 6th is the Feast of the Epiphany. And that's when uh, the Magi, as they're also, uh, the, three, my, the three wise men are also called, um, the, the wise men from the east, if you will, followed the star and then you know gave him the the frankincense and the gold in the in the moor in the moor 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 not muir that's the ghost of mrs muir they didn't they didn't bring hope lang with them <laughs> no they didn't give jesus the gift of hope lang although her name was hope that wouldn't have been bad anyway but no you know gold frankincense and myrrh and um, so the 12 days of Christmas actually refers to the 12 days after Christmas, toward the Epiphany. Uh, I didn't know that. No, I, I knew that recently, but but growing up, I never knew that. And I always thought, well, why do we celebrate, why do we start this on December 13th? Made made sense to me. And then finally, I read about it and said, oh, now it makes sense. There's the 12 days after Christmas leading up to the Epiphany. And it's, it makes sense when you when you start to dissect the lyrics on the first day of Christmas, being Christmas Day. It all makes sense. Um, so anyway, that's usually, my birthday is January 8th. So usually um, I'll wait for the epiphany and then maybe take it down by the time my birthday comes. Uh, I've always said, you've, if you've listened to the podcast with any regularity, you know I've always talked about I'm not being very excited about my birthday um, traditionally because it falls exactly two weeks after Christmas. And so it's right in the, you know, it's in the midst of all the, the, the Christmas holiday visiting, really. You know, it starts with Thanksgiving, the family gets together, and then the family gets together for Christmas Eve, and the family gets together for Christmas Day, so that's a double that's a double whammy, that's a double feature. Boom, boom. And then there's New Year's, which, you know, at least when you're a little kid, you're traditionally with your family. So, boom, then there's New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. We did both with my family. Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, same people. New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Same people. Week later. So now my birthday is the next week. Well, you know, starting from Thanksgiving and going to Christmases and New Year's two weeks in a row, by the time my birthday came, everybody needed a break from each other if they were even still talking (laughs) after the holidays. You know how that is. So uh, traditionally, my birthday, my you know, to give, give the family a break, my mom would... Denise for the family would would have my birthday party later in the month just to give people a little break. So while yes, I celebrated it at school and celebrated with um, you know my friends and, and with my mom and dad, in terms of like the big blowout, 
it was always much later, and I meant that in terms of blowing out the candles. It all, once again, this, this, this show works on so many levels. Um, but, you know, it was a lot of times like the last week of, of, of January. Well, by then, my birthday was here and gone. It was almost a month. So I, I never really have a real close uh, thrill of my birthday because it was always overshadowed. So I always tell prospective parents, um, when you're when you're thinking of conceiving, get a calendar, okay? Get a calendar, and think of the realities of this. Uh, if you notice, there's quite a few people born like your friends. A lot of people born in October. Uh, a lot of people born in September, and I have to think that that might have something to do that nine months or so, uh, the October-September birthdays, the nine months right around the holidays. So there could be some holiday celebrations going on that happened back in, in December and January, and then uh, later on, uh, the result of those uh, pop up. But... Also, you might notice a lot of people born in the summer, right? Uh, and, you know, and, 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 well, let's see, you know, like in, you know, let's say March, like maybe something like, you know, I, it seems like the beginning of spring is another time. Now, I mean, I get it. There's people born all throughout the year. I get it. But there do seem to be a lot of birthdays that, that, that happen those nine months after uh, celebratory times. So I would suggest to any parents, prospective parents out there, now sometimes, you know, as the song goes, if the fates allow, right? But if you're, you know, sometimes people, you know, can actually, they, 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 they get lucky. They plan it. Who knows? But I would say just to give yourselves a couple of months to get in the groove, if you will, um, just think about because this is a, this is a, I was going to say a one shot deal, but wow, does that have different implications? <laughs> but don't forget, once that birthday comes, it's there forever, unless of course you're like some of my friends. I don't know if this still goes on. I never had kids, so I don't know what the deal is. But there used to be a cutoff day when when if, if a kid was born before a specific day date, then they they would have to wait to start school the next year. I'm not sure why they did this. I never, I don't know. There were so many crazy rules 40, 50, 60 years ago. I think they made up rules just to make them up sometimes, just to create controversy. But, you know, so a lot of times parents wouldn't want their kids to wait a whole other year because they were born like right on the date or the cusp. And so this is no lie. Many people, and I know many of them. So this is my talk. This is my. This is what I'm talking about. These these rules that 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 people. You know, we talk about the good old days. People were people were getting around rules long before today. You know, every generation talks about the one before. It. Oh wow, you know, or the one after it. Well, they're breaking. No, believe me, a lot of crazy things happened 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago. Uh, they kept the people that weren't as as. Uh, as open and they didn't share as much of their secrets like today we share everything we do um but a lot of crazy things went on that weren't necessarily good for a lot of people too secrecy is not a good thing and a lot of 
A lot of people have some secrets in their family that they never even knew about that suddenly they find out 40, 50 years later and go, huh. But one thing that parents would do in order for their kids to be able to go to school earlier with their friends, because maybe all their friends were, were, were born before this cutoff date and this, and their kid was born like right on the day or a couple of days after. And they, that means they wouldn't be going to school with their friends that they grew up with right in the neighborhood. Most, a lot of, you know, you know that a lot of your friends you grow up with, they were, they're, they're your same age. So parents would change people's birthdays. I don't know how they would do it. I don't know if they would officially do it. I don't know how how official uh, you know they were with birth certificates back then. I mean, I don't know if people it was easy to 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 fraudulent them. I'm not sure to make them fraudulent. I'm not sure if it was easy to change. I don't know, but all I know a lot of people's birthdays were changed in order to make this cutoff date so they could go to school with their friends or go to school, you know, with their age group as opposed to waiting another year. Well, especially if it was right on the date. One time, I know it was like September 1st. Another time it was December. I'm not sure what the dates were. I was a little kid at the time. But, But I have spoken to many people that I've grown up with or come to know that are in my age group. And they have they found out years later 10 years 15 20 30 years later that their the birthday that they were celebrating their entire life was not their own it was not theirs their parents changed it sometimes by a few days just to get over the the uh, the deadline but sometimes months earlier in order to make no cast no doubt over when they were born. I have one friend who literally, I believe, was in his 40s. Certainly in his 30s, but maybe even in his 40s, who finally found out that the birthday that he was celebrating in April was not his birthday. In fact, his birthday was December 17th, which would have put him far past that cutoff date. And so his parents moved it from, I believe it was April, sometime earlier in the year, you know, from December, they moved it from December 17th to sometime much earlier in the year, so there'd be no question that he qualifies to start school at the time. And he celebrated his birthday, and they knew when he was really born for years. And this is not, and that to me is a little extreme. I've heard people changing it by a day or two, but months Wow, that's 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 serious stuff. <laughs> but wow. Uh, so anyway, when we celebrate and how we celebrate dates, very very important. So keeping up the when to take down the Christmas things and when not to, uh, always a, a big kind of thing. But as I said, I'm way way into the, the Christmas spirit, and I just so you know. Uh, about 10 years or so ago, uh, I found out through Ancestry.com that while I expected, 
I've all, you know, my, my, my father was always said, you know, my dad's, you know, a hundred percent Italian. My mom's a hundred percent Polish. And so I'm 50, 50, right? Half Italian, half Polish. Um, and that's the way I've always identified myself. Well, in, in today's world, and that's the way things usually were. People were always either full blooded this or bling bling. And that was a big deal in my, in my generation of what your ethnicity was growing up you were always identified like that um strongly because don't forget uh the ethnicity at that time uh and well and it's certainly now it's taken on you know a, a, a certain you know an elevated sense now um but back then you had the actual you know the people that came over you know that that came from foreign countries that ethnicity was much more present now you say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm whatever ethnicity you may be. And, oh, my grandparents or my great-grandparents came, you know, over from Europe. Well, they're long gone, right? So you're getting all this tradition and all this information, uh, you know, through osmosis, through learning and teaching and, and hearing stories. But 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago, the people that actually did come over were alive and they were parts of your life your grandparents certainly many cases um so they they were the ones so so that they while they were in america and they were american citizens they still remember growing up and having very strong ties and memories to whatever country they came from they still maybe had family there that you know they sometimes they had siblings there sometimes their parents were still there so your ethnicity um, you, your identification was 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 stronger because I believe those people who brought that ethnic tradition with them from other countries were still alive. It was still an important part of their life. Um, I don't know. Once again, I, I you know not having kids, I don't know what the the how people um, you know do that now. But certainly in, in this era of of, of, of inclusion and diversity and celebrating different ethnicities in this country, celebrating those traditions, uh, you know, people identify now once again more strongly. Uh, there was a time, um, I think my parents were much more strongly identified by that. By the time I came along, it seemed to, the, 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 uh, the, the goal was to, to acclimate. And and so you, there wasn't as much. You still heard it, and you still knew. Well, well, oh, what are you? Was kind of the question. Oh, I'm an Italian and Polish, but um, it wasn't as as strongly. And now we've moved. I seem we moved back to that. But certainly, my my parents were both born and raised here in the United States. But their parents did come. Both of their parents, my grandparents, both came from both. Poland and Italy. So when they were growing up, that ethnic tradition that they had was part of their family upbringing because their parents brought that with them. As much as they, they wanted to be Americans and they, they uh, 
they were proud to be Americans, and and it, it, it was an interesting time because there was this this feeling of acclim- you know they wanted to acclimate and be Americans, but they still didn't want to lose their traditions. I bring all this up because in today's world now with with all these uh, you know ancestry dot com and twenty three and me all these different uh, you know DNA type of services that we can all do. You t- you, all you do is put a little saliva in a tube and send it off, and your whole family comes back to you three weeks later online. <laughs> your, all your roots. It's amazing. The process is crazy. I spit in a tube, and I put it in a little box, and I mail it away. And then three or four weeks later, I, I find out all these new connections and new people I never knew existed. It's amazing what spit can do. You know, I you know from now on, I I don't know after ever since getting back my uh, my results, I don't spit as much as I used to. Saliva clearly is very valuable. <laughs> we used to we used to just discard saliva like it was nothing, like it was spit. No, no, no. Save that saliva. That's important stuff. A lot of, lot of, lot of interesting stuff. A lot of key stuff somewhere in that saliva. We never knew that before. We had microscopes and and computers and everything that were able to analyze this stuff. Past generations just thought saliva was spit. Get rid of it. Today we know better. We conserve our saliva. A lot of interesting, important stuff is all floating around in there. <laughs> but I found out that I was a little surprised and, and, and basically uh, confirmed what I thought. Yeah, I wasn't 50 50. I mean, let's face it. You know, nobody, you know, now that we know the complexities of, of genetics, nobody is, you know, 50 50, 30 40, you know, 60 40. There's, that doesn't exist in the real world, in the reality of it. It was simple back then. We didn't have as much knowledge and the ability to dig down deep into our genetic code 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, which we do now. But I found out that uh, while I was like 47% um, you know, Eastern European, Polish, and like 47% Italian, once again, from different areas of of Italy. So that was pretty close to the 50-50 split that I grew up, uh, you know, uh, know, expecting. About 3 or 4% were also different areas. And 3% was Jewish which I never knew, and I've talked to you before, I, um, you know, I, I, I love Yiddish. I, 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 I uh, you know, the, the, Jewish, uh, the Jewish language, and I've always been captivated by, by the Jewish culture and the Jewish religion. And so it turns out that maybe there's a reason. Genetically, I was brought to that. Now, it's 3%. It's not a lot. But, hey, 3% is, 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 is not anything. I would assume... That that three percent of the Jewish side came from my mom's side because she is from the Eastern European area, and that was you know there were a lot of European Jews. So somewhere down the line, there may have been some kind of of intermingling, even though for the most part, 
as I said, she's like 47% Polish, Eastern European, you know. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, that was, uh, so, but well, look, I, and I, well, I certainly celebrate Christmas. I love Christmas. I certainly have always. And now that I found out a few years ago that I actually have some Jewish blood in me, I certainly observe, or at least am cognizant of, uh, the Jewish, uh, religion holidays, especially around this time with Hanukkah and things like that. But look, I love the Christmas time. I love Santa. I'm, I'm not overly, overly religious. I certainly was born and raised in the Catholic faith. Uh, I was an altar boy. I, w- I went to Catholic grammar school and Catholic high school. So I certainly uh, have a, a good basis of the Catholic faith and the catechism and everything like that. Um, so that's why I will frequently talk about religious uh, teaching in terms of facts like the epiphany. I, I remember all that stuff. I could still recite the old mass. Now they've changed some of the responses, but uh, I mean, I I used to serve uh, as an altar boy. I was there were some Sundays I would serve three or four masses a day. I can still rattle off the old liturgy, the, the both the priest's side, you know, the priest's uh, comments as well as the what would used to be the um, the congregation's responses to the priest. Because I was at mass so much. So yes, long story short, twelve days of Christmas about the Epiphany Wiseman. That's why I know that. <laughs> but let me talk about what I really want to talk about today. <laughs> I told you it's always it's always an interesting little detour with me. Um. So this is the time of the year. Obviously, a lot of Christmas movies are out at this time some of older ones some of ones that are made 40 50 years ago some uh that are now become more modern classics uh every year we see it's a wonderful life and we see the various versions of uh, a christmas carol as i've said to you many times here for my money the best one of a christmas carol is scrooge starring alistair sim Alistair Sim, that's the one you see. You may see the one with Reginald Owen as Scrooge. That one's on a lot too. Uh, But Alistair Sim is, for me, Scrooge. If you want a more recent Scrooge that's done very well, find the Patrick Stewart version that came out in about the late 90s, about 99. Uh, That's usually on TNT a lot. He does an excellent job. He's a great actor, but he does a really good job of making Scrooge believable and human as opposed to overly cartoonish. And he really makes the transformation at the end feel authentic because he's portrayed Scrooge so uh, human uh, and, 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 and realistic before when he's frustrated and mean. And we understand uh, where that frustration and meanness comes from which makes his transformation all the more exciting and fun. A lot of people play him so big because he is a big character and it's easy to play the mean guy so mean and stingy and bah humbug. But then you've got a really hard mountain to climb to make that transition. Then you have to get even bigger when he becomes, knows how to keep Christmas well. So, uh, 
kudos to Patrick Stewart. So if you want two good Christmas Carol movies, check out Alistair Sims' version of A Christmas Carol or Patrick Stewart's if you want a little more recent one. But lots of movies, right? It's a Wonderful Life, uh, Miracle on 34th Street, uh, you know, like I said, the various Christmas Carols, White Christmas, uh, Christmas in Connecticut, most recently now, A Christmas Story, National Lampoon's Christmas uh, Vacation with Chevy Chase has become a classic. Obviously, Elf this year, I believe, turned 20 years old already. Elf, Elf the movie is not Elf, not Hey, Willie. No, that's Elf. I mean, Elf. Elf with, uh, <laughs> with, uh, and now I'm banging on his name with Will. What's Will's name? <laughs> Will. Oh, my God. <laughs> Will what? See, this is my, this is sometimes when I, when I get off script. <laughs> What's his name? Will, and you're all, what I love about this right now, you're all screaming his name. You're all going, it's Will Ferrell, idiot. Now it hit me. I love that. I love when I can't think of something. I know you're listening right now screaming, going, what an idiot, or it's Will Ferrell. I got you. I heard you. Believe me. Uh, But yeah, so Elf is 20 years old this year. And my favorite part of that movie, Elf, is not Will Ferrell, actually. I love Bob Newhart in that movie. But my favorite is Leon the Snowman, which is a takeoff on Burl Ives' Snowman from Rudolph. We've got Leon based on Leon Redbone, who I am a huge fan of. I've got many, many uh, Leon Redbone albums, including, most notably, his Christmas album. That old Christmas moon. Frosty the snowman was a happy, jolly soul with a corncob pipe and a button nose and two eyes made out of coal. I love Leon Russell, or Leon. I love Leon Russell too, but Leon Redbone's voice, great. Frosty the snowman had to hurry on his way, but he said hello. <laughs> anyway, yeah, check out the Leon Redbone Christmas album if you never heard that one. Anyway, there's a lot of movies. One of the movies that has become a modern day classic is Home Alone with Macaulay Culkin. And that really put John Williams, uh, well, I would say that's really, not John Williams, John Hughes. I'm, I'm you know, doing a lot of. Uh, Memor- stuff off the top of my head here today. Apologize. At least I'm catching myself. No, that I mean, it didn't really put John Hughes on the map. Certainly, Sixteen Candles did, and then um, uh, you know, right after that, Breakfast Club and Pretty in Pink. He had quite a he had quite a little winning streak going there in the um, in the early to mid '80s. Um, and then Home Alone came around the late '80s, and you know, he had a little fallow period and then boom he came back big time with home alone uncle buck and things like that but uh so home alone has really become a christmas classic and macaulay culkin is excellent in that movie along with joe pesci and daniel stern and um, and the rest of the cast but it's really those three that 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 drive that film um and i had and so, you know, you know the premise of Home Alone, right? You know, the family is going away 
Oh, and he also had planes, trains, and automobiles. How can you forget that movie, John Hughes? Um, but uh, and once again, a, a holiday, you know, uh, centered kind of film with mayhem around it. John Hughes knew how to touch. John John Hughes was great because he knew how to. Uh, he had he had a very rebellious and and almost um, he was almost an anarchist in many ways. He destroyed the he, you know he he, he he destroyed the 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 picture perfect world and at the same time he also had an appreciation for it and tugged your you tugged your heartstrings at the same time. You know, for all the craziness that went on in planes, trains, and automobiles, all the slapstick humor that went on, at the end of the day, you find out about the John the John Candy character, and you're like, oh, my goodness. And it's the same thing with Home Alone. It's really, the movie is pretty much a Roadrunner cartoon come to life. You know, Macaulay Culkin is the Roadrunner, and Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern are Wiley Coyote. And and you know all the all the different tricks and all the different uh, things that he you know that Macaulay Culkin sets up all the traps to foil those two robbers. Basically, that's what the Roadrunner did to keep getting caught by the wily e. coyote. It's basically the Roadrunner cartoon live action with humans as opposed to cartoon characters. If you think about it, not only the the, the different the different um, you know traps that he sets for them but the the way they happen and the violence you know joe pesci and daniel stern are are really you know they never they never feel it like the wily coyote he would get hit with an anvil on his head and two seconds later he'd be back you know start trying to trap the roadrunner again you wouldn't feel any effects of those uh of, of, of the of the punishment he took by those traps and the roadrunner always outsmarted him but like the, the, one of those little vignettes would stop, and then it would go black, and it come back, and then Wiley Coyote would start again, and then he would hit his head or fall off the hill or, or you know, fall off the mountain cliff or have an anvil hit him again, and he would start as and there was no bumps, there's no nothing, he would keep going, and that's how Home Alone was. They would be falling downstairs, slipping on ice, whatever it was, and be really they should be they should have been physically. Uh, injured and bruised beyond recognition, and they five minutes later they're off. They're off again, running, trying to get in that house. So it was really a, a very inspired movie, and it's a classic. And it's got everything that you need. It's got the slapstick comedy. It's got a great, cute little kid, and it's and it's got the holidays. How could that miss? Well, it didn't miss, and it continues to be uh, now a, a a modern day holiday classic. And of course. You know, once again, the, the premise uh, that the family is a uh, hustle and bustle of leaving to go see their family somewhere else for the holidays, and they leave their small little kid home alone, and thus the title, and thus the premise. So I didn't have a home alone experience per se. I mean, it's not, this story is not exactly home alone but it reminded me of home alone because of the travel aspect and the uh that that ability i I was not in this story now i am not kevin i'm more like the the parents the oblivious 
you know, rattled and and distracted parents who somehow leave their cute little kid at home, right? We still have to worry about that parenting, but it hey, it sets up the premise. But I feel I had something of a home alone moment just this week, just last week, right around the holidays, had to do with travel, and I felt like I was right in the midst of home alone. I don't have any kids, so obviously I didn't forget my kid. <laughs> you know, so it's not a perfect analogy. It's not perfect, but it's got pieces of it that I'm going to I'm going to wrap myself into the home alone ethos, if you will. And believe me, I don't do the you know, I I tell some crazy stories about some of the things that have happened to me, some of my experiences. I try to share them with you. Some of them are uh, you know, are so goofy and funny. I enjoy sharing them with me. If I look like a goofball or an idiot, I don't mind because I, I enjoy the entertainment aspect of it myself. And I revel in my stupidity or my absent-mindedness or whatever got me into a crazy situation. But please, no, I do not do these things just for material for my podcast <laughs> or for the radio or whatever. These are, these are sadly, many stories that I have told over the years are legitimate stories uh, that have, I've realized that, you know what, uh, I might as well embrace them and share them and have fun with them. Uh, I told you before that secrets, you know, can be, you know, can have a bad aspect. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't like to keep those kind of secrets. I like to share them. If I look like a jerk sometimes or an idiot. So be it. If I give you a laugh, I've given you entertainment, I've done my job. I wasn't expecting this one, but this is kind of my home alone-ish holiday moment. Just happened. Fresh as a daisy. Just happened last week. So my wife and I uh, had planned many, many months ago, about six, seven months ago, that around this time, December 9th through the 16th, <laughs> that we were going to go to um, two two places, Napa Valley. We let, I, we're both we both my 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 drink of choice, if I had one, is wine. I'm I'm a, I'm a wine a wine drinker. I've I've been into wine. I went to Napa for the first time probably almost 30 years ago now. Uh, and I had no idea all the aspects that went into wine knowledge. And so, uh, I was, when I went to Napa, just went there because I always heard about it, came away really interested and intrigued by the whole histories of wine and, and the knowledge and, and, and how they're made and, and the different varieties and, and all that. And so I got into that, um, in my mid twenties and, and, you know, continued, uh, throughout the years. So we like to go to Napa. And then we have also been, one time, we went to Carmel, or, or a couple of times, we've been to Carmel, which is in, uh, with, you know, Napa is about, is, is about an hour north of San Francisco. And Carmel, or Carmel by the Sea, now you may know Carmel, it, would be, it became known pretty well about 30, 40 years ago in the 80s, when Clint Eastwood, who lived in Carmel, became the mayor of Carmel. And that was a big deal back then. And then a few years after that, Sonny Bono of Sonny and Cher became the mayor of Carmel. It's a small little 
town. It's a beautiful, it's picturesque, right on the coast of the Pacific Ocean, the Pacific's edge, if you will. Some of the views of the rocks and the coast, it's right along uh, you know, the, the Pacific Coast Highway, Highway 1 in California. It's, it's just gorgeous. Uh, the beaches, uh, the town of Carmel by the sea itself, um, uh, is a nice little, you know, maybe 10 to 12 block area filled with little shops and restaurants and art galleries. It's, it's a nice, it's, 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 it's such a nice little refuge from the hustle and bustle of the world. Really good restaurants there too. If you, if you're from Chicago or from Illinois, you may remember Long Grove, which is still around. Um, but they had the same kind of a little area there. Now, Carmel is much bigger, much more elaborate, but it's that same feel. A lot of art, you know, like art, as I said before, art galleries or specialty shops, uh, you know, bakeries and um, and restaurants, uh, you know, very, in, a, in, a, in almost like a Mayberry USA kind of uh, setting, you know, kind of quaint. Uh, you can't beat it. It's right. It, the, the views are great. It, the, just down Ocean Boulevard or Ocean Ocean Avenue, I believe, it goes right down to the ocean. Gorgeous beach uh, right there. Um, so it's really a picturesque area. And we've been there a couple of times. And so we thought it's been a long time since we've been to Carmel. And because of COVID, we hadn't been to a- Napa in almost four or five years. So um, we thought we would have a nice little December getaway Right before the holidays, just as the weather starts to get cold to go out in California, get a nice little rejuvenation. So I knew about this trip many, many months before. And I booked all of our arrangements, um, you know, a couple, three months in advance, including the airfare, the air, right? Now, basically, there's two ways to get at least to Carmel. You can fly into the Monterey Airport, which is smaller, and there's not as many flights. Or you can fly into San Francisco, and it's an, it's about a two-hour drive south from San Francisco to Carmel. And also, Napa is about an hour north of San Francisco. So San Francisco's, if you want to do Napa and Carmel, it's not a bad, you know, you, you fly into San Francisco, and you're close to both, and and they're only Carmel and, and Napa are only three hours away from each other. So it's not too bad of a drive. Um, and you fly in the middle. So it works out fine. Now I've talked to you before that I'm not the best driver when it comes to twisty roads or mountain roads or coastal roads. I've driven on highway one and I was scared out of my pants. Now I was, a little younger and a little less experienced because I hadn't really, I grew up in the Chicago and Illinois area here. You know, things are as flat as can be. So I was not attuned. And we never went with my parents. We we went on trips, but we, we didn't really do a lot of road trips. So I wasn't used to driving, even being in a car, going up mountains or going down coasts. To actually be driving it was even more scary. And even the best of drivers, it's still you have to pay attention, right? So I've always gone, I've always tried when I found out after I realized I had this this kind of antsy fear of that, I've always have at least admitted my fear. I don't like to put myself into bad situations. And I have a lot of times when I will go somewhere, I would go 
out of my way a little just to drive inland. And everybody says, oh, but you're missing this beautiful, this beautiful uh, coastline, like, like Pacific, you know, the, the Highway 1. Oh, my God. It's so picturesque. It's so scenic. Well, yeah, it is for the passenger, but the person driving can't look. I'm I'm too I'm too focused on this the cars coming at me and the and the and the drop off on the other side. So the passengers they go oh this is gore oh look at don't no I can't look if I look we'll be in it we'll be in the Pacific Ocean I we can't look I'll be in the side of the mountain yeah the mountain looks great would you like our car in it so stop telling me to, to oh look at how beautiful it's not beautiful for the driver. It's beautiful for the passengers. So, <laughs> uh, no, I, I like to take stress and drama out of my life as much as possible. I don't. I don't like to voluntarily bring it in. If it hand me, look, drama and uh, you know, uh, and and anxiety, whatever it comes into our life enough naturally. I don't like to add to it on purpose. So, I many times I will. I will. I will engineer a route that takes me more inland, away from that. It may take me 15, 20 minutes longer to get somewhere. It may be 10 miles longer, but at least it will be more of a stress-free ride for me. So that's what I do. And that's what I did here. Because every GPS and every, every map or whatever, basically to get to Carmel tells you to take, you know, Highway 1. And you're right on the you're right on the coast, and I did it one time, and I I said I can't do this anymore. It was too stressful for me, so I plotted out a way. Now, thankfully, to get to Napa, that that doesn't exist, but definitely Carmel itself. As I said, it's literally right on the rocks of the Pacific Ocean, and so you know that it's that's the that's the that's the preferred route is to take it's it's the quickest way to get there is to take one but I didn't do that so I had to find a way inland to still get there without driving you know fifty miles or so on Highway One and and white knuckling it and having heart palpitations the whole time so. From San Francisco, I found that I could take Highway 101, which is inland, and I got. But I have to get west. I have to get to that coast, right? But the key is, how do I how do I get to one, which I have to get on eventually? But how do I get to one where I'm not driving so far and so long on that coast highway? In fact, preferably, maybe there's a point where it's not even right on the the, the water as much. And I found one. Now, granted, it was about seven, eight miles out of the way. It added another 20 minutes to my drive. But I have to say, it it was 100% less stressful. So if you're like me, and I know there's not that many out there, but for the few that are out there, if you don't want to stress yourself out and you don't mind adding a little mileage and time to your ride let me just say if you ever go to carmel <laughs> now i don't know what the chances are but if you ever find yourself going to carmel and you 
go you 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 get to San Francisco starting part starting point San Francisco starting point San Francisco airport I advise you to take 101 south very simple right there right out of the highway right out of the airport can't miss it take 101 south and while there will be several routes to go west that will take you to to highway 1 they want you to take 1 they, whoever created all the GPSs and who created all the, the highways and all the highway signs, they want you to get to one. And I said, no, I am not going to one. So I took 101 all the way down, went through Gilroy, the garlic capital of the world, through Salinas. So I'm far, I'm far, I'm, I'm. I'm east of the of the of the coast right now. I'm a, I'm, I'm certainly you know I'm not I'm not going west, young man. I'm I'm going south and a little east. But then I found a the Salinas Monterey Highway, which is 68, which which begins in Main Street in Salinas, right off of 101, and gets me west. And it actually ultimately hits one a few miles north of Carmel. But when I hit one at this point, one is more inland than it is right on the coast. It's not scary. Perfect for an Elton Jim. And that's what I did. So, yeah, I got there... You know, I added seven more miles and maybe 20 minutes to my ride. Oh, but what a difference. No heart palpitations. No white knuckling. Beautiful scenery anyway. Maybe not the water. And there was a little patch on one. Very small. Not even a half a mile long. There was a beach there. And so it wasn't a cliff. There was a flat beach. And I, we drove by. I said, well, here's, here's the Pacific Ocean. There's the beach, but it's all flat. We're on the same level. Hey, I drove one past the Pacific Ocean. I did it. <laughs> it was only about a you know thousand feet, but it still looked beautiful. So I was happy. <laughs> I, I can say that I drove on Highway One past the Pacific Ocean. No cliffs. No crashing thunt, you know, no crashing waters, no fear of, of going over an embankment or, or mountains. No, this was a beautiful, safe little ride. And there was the water, it looked gorgeous. The sun was hitting it. It was as blue as can be, the beautiful rocks. Oh, it was perfect. So that's my route. If you're ever going to go to Carmel from San Francisco, and you don't want to drive one because you're a little afraid of it, believe me, this is the way to go. And it's very simple. 101. Stay on 101. Get off at 101 on Main Street in Salinas. Follow the road. It'll take you to 68 West. 68 West will take you to Highway 1. And then you go south on 1, about half hour. And you're there. Stress-free, nice ride, not too many curves, not too many, you know, squigglies. 
three to only a couple of one lane areas there for the most part, at least two lanes on each side, surrounded by uh, by hills, beautiful scenery, but mostly flat. No 80 foot drops, no real mountains on one side where you can't see around the corner. There's a few of those, but those are, there's one or two. You can get, I, even I could get through those. But that's not my story. Here's my story. But I had to get, I had to explain why I was going to San Francisco because I have some driving involved here, right? I'm going to, my, my plan was because we had a week stay at a place in Carmel. So my plan was to land in San Francisco, drive to Carmel, check in that day, spend the day there, then wake up early the next morning, and then drive to Napa, make the three-hour drive to Napa, stay in Napa for a couple of days, and then drive back down and have the other remaining four days in Carmel. So I have a good amount of driving to do with my inland routes. (laughs) So I have to worry about what time I'm leaving, you know, early in the morning. I don't want to drive at night because there's very few lights on some of these roads. Most of those roads don't have any lights. So I wanted to make sure I was driving during the daytime because I wasn't really sure where I was going. Um, You know, give time to get there, you know, especially on the way back to the airport to make your flight. So I had a a, later flight when we were going to actually depart to come back home. But certainly you want as much time as you can. So I was looking for an early, like, we don't like to, you know, I mean, it was so funny. Sometimes you see these flights at O'Hare here in Chicago that are 7 o'clock and you go, wow, that's early. I mean, you got to be at the airport by 5. You got to get up at 3. And it's crazy, but once you get to the airport, you see a lot of people are doing the same thing you did. So it's not that crazy. So I go online and now, you know, everybody books their own flights. My my, I had uh, aunts that actually used to own a travel agency. So we had a, in our family for many years. We had they used to handle a lot of our things. But now in today's world, you know, we all book our our own flights. Everybody goes on their apps or go on the website and you book your own flight. They've made it very simple. Or have they? Which is the part and the point of my story here, my home alone moment. So I'm looking for flights. I. In today's world, with the, the the way the airlines are, there are so many connections. It's very hard to find a direct flight these days. Have you have you flown? It's it's not easy to find a direct flight now. But especially if you're going to California, if you're going to San Francisco, you know, it's a long flight to begin with. It's four hours round, you know, nonstop. If you're going to stop somewhere on the way, sometimes they stop in Houston. I mean, sometimes they stop in, um, well, sometimes they go down to Dallas, which is crazy for an American Airlines. I, I, I hate doing that. Um, but sometimes they'll stop in Colorado, at least that's west, or they'll stop in Phoenix or L.A. And you, 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 but you, have to, you know, it's two flights, then you risk, you know, connections and delays, and it adds two to three hours to your time. So certainly, especially a long flight like that across the country, you want to get a nonstop. So I was looking online, and I'm not seeing any nonstops. Except for one I see, and it says 7 o'clock. 
So I'm like, oh, well, geez, that's early. You know, but at least we get in at 10. So at least we have the whole, you know, because there's a two-hour difference. So at least we have some, we have the day ahead of us, right? I, if I get in at 10, I'm going to drive down to Carmel. At least I get to Carmel at three hours or two hours. Uh, you know, that's noon, one twelve. by the time you get your bag. But about, say, 1 o'clock I get there. Okay, I still have time to go to lunch and do some stuff, get acclimated. So perfect. Yeah, it's a long day at the beginning. Going to have to get up at 3, get to the airport by 5. But at least we're spending more time in our destination. So I bit the bullet, and I'm like, okay, we'll we'll get on the the 6.55 flight. It gets in at 10 at least, and it gives us the time. So that's the plan. So, and you know, it seems like a good plan. So that's it. And I booked this flight in, we were leaving in December. I probably booked this in late September or early October. So I've had this itinerary done. You know, coming home, once again, I have to, I have to, um, to get to the airport, you know, from Carmel. It's about a two-hour drive. You know, get a little time. You know, give yourself a nice little, you don't want to rush. You have to bring the car back, rent a car, blah, blah, blah. So we had like a quarter to one flight, which was going to get us. But once again, now this time, no direct flight home, which was a pain. We had to stop in Phoenix and Phoenix to Chicago. Ultimately, we're going to leave, you know, San Francisco at quarter to one and get home at like at 1030. But what are you going to do? So at least we have to get up too early because now we have a two hour drive to get to San Francisco. We wound up leaving at about 730. We made good time. And it was a very leisure time. As I said, I like to I like to build in buffer times and buffer zones. I don't like to cut things close. It, it, it makes you get up a little earlier, yes, but it also gives you, once again, less stress, less drama, peace of mind, and not that craziness when you get to the airport running down hallways. So 7 a.m., 10 a.m., Arrival on the 9th, 12.45, coming back home on the 16th at 10.30 to Chicago. I had those those flights booked since, as I said before, late September, early October. Every so often, you know, just thinking about them, what were the times again? You know, what, oh, I'd go on, just see, okay, 7 to 10. What seat number are we? You know, just as peace of mind, you know, as the, as the weeks would go by and starting to approach. Then I, you know, I had, I, I'd, I'd gotten on the, the American, it's, it's the airline, I'm on American Airlines app. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hitting the app and it shows you your, your reservations. And, uh, Oh, there it is, 7 to 10, San Francisco. Okay, that's going to, just thinking about, oh, that's going to be nice. It'll be good. It's a little early. Yeah, just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm even in my mind, I'm looking at the app several times over the next, the last couple of months, just in my mind, kind of rationalizing, yeah, it's early, but at least we're going to have most of the day. So that's good. 7 to 10, quarter to 5, what's this, you know, quarter to 1 coming home. What are our seats? Blah, 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 blah. Right. I must have looked. I'm not exaggerating. Over the last several months, I must have looked at that reservation for whatever reason. I don't even know why. Sometimes I was just going through my old emails and I'd go into my little travel, uh, you know, 
folder and it would come up uh, here's your, and I would just click I would I don't know why I would just click on that 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 reservation for those San Francisco flights and see the numbers 7 to 10 quarter to 1 to 10:30 I mean I, I I just looked at them I don't know why I I, I told you I'm I'm a little OCD on things I just okay just want to make sure okay just want to make sure just want to make sure just want to make sure so I I I I would estimate that since I made that reservation, I looked at it at least 10 times over the last t- couple of months. I don't know why, but I did. Just out of boredom or just, oh, yeah, I want to make sure I'm still there. It's still there. You know, you made it so far ahead. You want to just make sure that reservation's still there. Whatever, whatever reason it was. 7 to 10, quarter to 1 to, to 10, 40, actually. <sighs> All right. December 9th arrives. I have everything planned. We ran out of milk that morning, so the milk wouldn't get, you know, it wouldn't be milk in the, you know, the refrigerator was bare. There's nothing in there. There was no perishables. I had all the, the doors locked, the timers on, lights on, doors locked, packed day before. Uh, you know, everything, the house was, was fine, you know, secure. We had our bags. I had printed the itinerary up as a backup. I went online. I told you I found a different route with a map to get my inland route to get to both places, you know, um, gauging the times. I mean, I really, I had this trip planned to the nth detail. And it was, once again, I love, I, I told you, I love making lists. I love being organized. And this, I was so proud of myself. I, I mean, it was just, I was. Everything was falling into place the way it was supposed, like the, it, the way I planned it in my head, it was happening. I'll pack on this day. We'll pack here. We'll leave here. We'll leave here at, um, you know, we'll leave here at uh, the house uh, at, uh, you know, at, at, at 20 to 5 to get there by 5.15. I mean, you know, so we're there by 7. I mean, the whole thing. And everything was working perfect. We even, so, you know, we leave the house. We leave on time when I wanted, you know, bags packed, everything done, put in the car. We pull away. It's, you know, it's, it's you know, 4.30, quarter to 5 in the morning. Dark, doesn't matter. On our way. Get to the 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 remote lot at O'Hare parking lot F. We get a great spot on a Saturday morning, right? A lot of people, you know, you think by Saturday, a lot of the spots. There's this lone spot that I don't even know how I found it. Literally, a three minute little walk from the spot to the you know to get to the tram that takes you over to O'Hare. So we had a nice spot. I'm like, oh, this will be great. Not only to take us two seconds to get into the, to the, to the, to the, you know, elevator to go to get to the tram, but thinking about the way home, this will be so nice. You have to keep walking to get your car. Oh, this is we, the first hour and a half of the trip from when you know, say the from when I woke up at three o'clock to get ready. You know, makes any last minute packing, make sure everything's locked. You've got make sure everything's okay at the house. Got everything you need in the bags. That last, that, you know, how it is that that final check on everything you got. I have a list. I you know of everything I have to pack, everything I have to do. Keep putting throw out the garbage, da, 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 all that stuff. Click check 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 everything checked. The first two hours, 
from three o'clock when I woke up to say five fifteen when we got at O'Hare, everything is right on. I mean, I'm like, wow, we got this great parking spot. The timing, this is going to be a great trip. Everything is falling totally into place. It's it's too perfect. I love the fact that I have planned all this so well and the plan is executing. I can't wait for it to keep executing how we're going to continue with my how I'm envisioning this plan going. I'm going to get there at 10. We're going to get the car by 1030. We're going to be on the road by 11. We're going to get to Carmel in uh, two hours and 20 minutes and we'll have time and we'll check in. I mean, I had it all planned. And so far it was right on time or even exceeding my expectations, at least the first two hours and 15 minutes. We get down, we get, you know, we get down to the ticket uh, counter and at 5.15, it's amazing, even on a Saturday morning, we had O'Hare to ourselves. No line. No line to go up to the counter to check in. No line at the TSA to get through the security. I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is going to be fantastic. I mean, this is going perfectly. I'm so proud of myself. I'm so excited. I planned this trip for months. I had it visualized as to, you know, time-wise, ding, da-ding, 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 and every da-ding was happening so far. And then we get to O'Hare, the world, one of the world's, you know, busiest airports, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna glide in. There's no line. Sometimes, you know, you get to the airport. Oh, my God, look at the security line. Oh, my God, look at the line to check your bags. You know, no, there was no one there. It was unbelievable. Got right up to the counter. And I'm already looking over there. there when I when we got down the escalator to, from, the, from the air tram, from the parking lot, I see there's no line at all for security. Nothing. Oh, this is gonna this is this is better than I thought. I mean, I had this 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 pristine view of it, and this was exceeding my pristine expectations, if that's possible. Well, you know how it is when you travel, you always have to be nimble because there's always a glitch somewhere, right? Oh, this, oh, a long line here, oh, delay there. But no, so far everything was right to the T the way I planned it. So I'm feeling very good with myself right now. We walk up very, I walk up to the ticket counter very confidently. And uh, she says, where are you going? And I said, going to San Francisco. If you're going to San, I even had flowers in my hair. That's how excited I was. I was going to San Francisco. Don't forget to wear flowers in your hair like the song goes. I even had flowers in my hair. I was excited. Going to San Francisco. And I say, and she says, oh, uh, and what flight are you on? And I say, oh, uh, we're on the 7 o'clock flight. And she says, oh, well, okay, uh, do you want to check your bags now? And I say, well, yeah, <laughs> why wouldn't I want to check my bags? I'm, I'm going now. I'm, it's 7 o'clock. I mean, it's 5.15. We have a 7 o'clock flight. Of course. Yeah, why, am I, why would I be? I mean, I'm saying this in my head, right? I'm not saying this to her, but I'm like, yeah, why would you even ask me? Do you want to check your bags now? I'm at the counter. I'm here to go. I'm leaving in an, an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and 45 minutes. And she says, well, what flight number are you? And I said, uh... 1179 
I even knew my flight number. That's how many, that's how many times I looked at the itinerary. I knew the flight number. 1179. Still remember it. 1179. She said, what flight number are you? 1179. 7 o'clock flight, 1179. She said, well, you know, that's... Now, get ready, folks. Because I told you, <laughs> this, this has been going so perfect that I'm so... I'm so proud of myself and 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 it gives me I'm, I'm feeling good about yes it is important jim to plan ahead it is you know you people might say you're obsessive but look at how look at how great your planning has 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 led up to this point and here you are at the ticket counter you know you've you've planned this this was your thing and you're right at that ticket counter the exact time you wanted to be i mean this is working great and she says, well, you know, that's a 7 p.m. flight. Are you hearing what I just said, folks? I'm standing at a ticket counter at O'Hare Airport at 5.15 a.m. I got up at 3 a.m. And my flight is not at 6.55, I mean, I say something like 6.55 a.m. arriving in San Francisco at 9.56 a.m. The flight that I booked back in late September or early October was indeed a nonstop. But it was a 7 p.m. flight that gets me to San Francisco at 10 p.m. Meaning that whole first day that I plan to spend in Carmel is gone. And it was never there, really. I never had that first day that I was planning about getting there at 10 and driving down, getting the, the, the rent-a-car and driving down to Carmel and spending the day in Carmel on the, on, the, on, on the 10th and then going to Napa the next morning. In my perfect plan, that was always the plan. It, in reality, it never existed because the, the flight that I booked was not 7 a.m. It was 7 p.m. I can't believe that over the last two and a half months, the times that I could, if I would have looked, I don't know why, I just, in my mind, it made sense. It's a seven o'clock flight. It was nonstop. I believe it was toward the top of the offerings of the plane, of the flights, which made me think it was the earliest flight out. All the other ones were later and were connections. I was looking for, that's why I was so, it was a little early, but I was so keen on this flight. Well, it's early, it gets me in early, and it's nonstop. Wow, that's the exact flight I want. This is the perfect flight for me. Well, it was exactly not the perfect flight for me. 
It was 7 p.m. And I so I looked at my itinerary that I had printed up. Ford, I mean, not only had I looked at this for on on on, on my computer and on my app many times over the last two months, but I even printed up the itinerary to have as a backup. I was leaving on a Saturday. I printed it on Monday. And it was sitting on our kitchen counter, staring at me for five days. And I never looked and saw the 7 p.m. on that thing. I was devastated. First of all, I was devastated because I couldn't believe I made such a stupid mistake and perpetuated that mistake over two and a half months, not looking at it that it took me to get to the counter to have it pointed out to me that I booked the wrong flight. I mean, that I felt like the biggest idiot on earth. If you know me, to know that I made that kind of mistake is like a stake through the heart because I am so detail-oriented that to make a mistake like that is catastrophic to my psyche. I mean, it it breaks down everything that's built in there. <laughs> I'm shattered. I'm standing at the airport being told that the flight that I booked is in 12 hours. I woke up at 3 in the morning when I could have I woke up at 3 in the afternoon. I was packing the night before. I didn't have to do that. But I wouldn't have taken that flight. Well, then I find out the earliest flight, the next. So I'm like, well, what's the next flight? Well, the next flight's not till 1 in the afternoon, but there are no seats at all. You'll be lucky if you get a standby. I look at my wife, who is really the most understanding person in the world, because, you know, and I, I know this about myself. If she had booked that flight... And made the mistake I did, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, I mean, but I would have been, oh my God, how, I would have said, how could you do that? You know what I mean? And she didn't give me that at all, which is great, (laughs) which is why we've been married for so long. But we both looked at each other and she knew that she didn't have to give it to me because I was already going to give it to myself. I was already hitting myself internally for making such a stupid mistake. So now we're like, well, what do we do? So a woman says, well, do you want to check your bags now? Yeah, for 12 hours? I'm like, no, no, we'll, we'll just, we have to rethink. We have to think what we're going to do now. You know, what about the flight tomorrow? Well, there's one at 845 tomorrow. Oh, okay, but you know, maybe you can hopefully get on that one. But now there's going to be a huge for both tickets transfer fee, canceling one flight, rebooking, and don't forget now I'm going to book myself on that flight the day of. You know how much the flight? I mean, I got I I'm booked it purposely two or three months in advance. I got like a two or maybe three hundred dollar you know, fare to, to San Francisco from Chicago. That's really dirt cheap at this time of the year, especially. So I got really low fares because I went, I knew we were going months in advance. So that's why I booked it months in advance. You know how much the flight was on the day of? 
at that time? $1,200. There's no way I'm going to spend 900 extra dollars on one ticket. So now I'm like, what are we going to do? We have to, we have to rethink. Do we, do we just cancel the whole trip? This trip that was going so well, so perfect. Looking forward to it, and we were executing the plan perfectly for the first two hours and 15 minutes, and now it all came crashing down like an earthquake, like an asteroid hit it. I mean, I felt like I got shot. I mean, it was just, I couldn't believe what she was telling me, and there was no, there was nothing to do about it. There was no, there was no other flight to take. It seemed hopeless. So we, we left the counter. The guy, a guy next to me said, he looked at me when he heard this because he couldn't help it. I said, what? You know, when she said, you know, that's a 7 p.m. flight. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? And the guy next to me goes, I did that one time. And I just looked at him and I, I don't even know what I, I was so in my own world, in my own head. I, I mean, this was, I, like I said, I, this was a stake to my heart that not only was our was our trip now in jeopardy but it was because of me it was a stupid mistake not seeing the am and the pm and having i could have changed this flight dozens of times over the last 2 months even when i made the mistake i looked at that itinerary so many times that i if i would have just looked at it one time and said oh my god look what i did i could have changed it and we wouldn't have got up at 3 am there were no other early morning flights. That, the next flight was at 1 in the afternoon. But I, would have, I guess would have gotten on that one initially. Paid a little more money, but at least we wouldn't have got up at 3 in the morning for no reason. We left our house at 4.30, right? We were home at 6 a.m. What are we going to do? We got to get home and regroup. We were home by 6 a.m. with our bags. I'm feeling as low as I can. I'm embarrassed. I, I can't believe what happened. And so I felt like home alone. Like we were, I was so distracted that everything was going on that, you know, we got boom, boom, boom. And then you get to the airport and you realize the dumb mistake. It wasn't the same like leaving my kid at the airport, but it was still the holidays and it was traveling and it was a stupid mistake. Now, to be honest, it actually didn't work out all that bad. We sat down once again after I stopped beating myself with a whip. Cooler heads prevailed. <laughs> I put some Bactine on all the on all the the the, uh, the 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 whip marks I had on my legs and my back that I that I I whipped myself from shame. Made sure I wasn't infected, and then sat down and said, "Okay, now what do we do? Let's look at our options. Let's let's try to get the the mistake has been made. It's done. The good part is we still have our seven p.m. reservation." We can still get to San Francisco. We don't, I mean, my first inclination was cancel the trip because I'm not going to get to San Francisco at 10 p.m. I am not going to drive to Carmel 
you know, two hours in a way that I don't even know where I'm going at night. I'm not doing that. So I guess maybe we could go to Napa, but I don't want to drive. It's 10 o'clock at night. By the time we get going, it's 11 o'clock. I've been up since three. I'm not, I'm not, you know, no. So do we want to go the next morning? Yes, but it's $1,200 for the flight. A little later, it, 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 the, the $1,200 went down to 800 Still not paying that much money. You know, I mean, I'm, I made this mistake. I'm not going to pay that much money for this mistake. So we were actually leaning on canceling, which would have been a shame. But then I said, well, wait a minute. Now let's devise what we could do here. We have a, we have a 7 o'clock flight that gets us, gets us in at 10 o'clock on, you know, on Saturday. Okay, we missed that date. Okay, whatever. We weren't going to really do that much when we got to Carmel that day. We were going to check in, get acclimated, and then, you know, have dinner and probably go to bed early because we're going to get up early to make the three-hour drive or so, three-and-a-half-hour perhaps, to Napa on Sunday, right? I told you, we're just going to stay and we're just going to check in the one day and then go back to Carmel. Because we had this week time that we have that was part of a timeshare that we have. So that's why we had the week already. So whether you stay there a week or you leave in the middle and come back, doesn't matter, right? So we had that week already booked, the 9th through the 16th. So that's why we're going to go to Carmel for one day, leave and come back on Tuesday. We still had a reservation. We still had. But this way we'd have some of we wouldn't have to, you know, take all of our bags. We'd just take, take a little carry-on with us. We'd have other stuff, you know, in the room there, come back in a couple of days. So I said, well, let's, 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 really, let's really think about this, what we're going to do. How do we do this? Look, we're going to take a hit uh, somewhere to pay for this monetarily, this m- mistake. How do we mitigate that? So I said, well, wait a minute. Basically, we, we're going to get to San Francisco, and tomorrow, on Sunday, we're going to get up early and drive to Carmel. Or we're going to drive, we're going to drive, the plan was to drive from Carmel up to Napa. Okay, well, we've got the reservation from the 9th to the 16th. That's set. I'll call down to Carmel and tell them that we want to confirm that reservation, but we won't actually be checking in until Tuesday morning. We already have a reservation up in Napa for Sunday. So it's really this Saturday that got screwed up. And then not a lot was going to happen on that Saturday anyway. So let's look at the bright side of it. We're still going to be in San Francisco on Saturday, just 12 hours later. <laughs> but we're gonna, we were going to drive Sunday morning anyway to Napa. So we're already... Two, in San Francisco, we're two hours closer to Napa than we were on our original plan. So we're going to take a monetary hit here, no question. But let's mitigate that. So why don't we get a cheap hotel room for the night from, you know, we're going to we'll probably get there at 11 o'clock and we're going to leave at 10 so we just need a, we need we need a place to stay overnight in San Francisco and then leave from San Francisco and go to Napa. We were going to pass San Francisco anyway 
on our way from Carmel. We've got the reservation for the whole week down in Carmel. That's no big deal. So this plan actually wasn't too bad. It was going to save us a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour initial trip, you know, driving trip after taking a two-hour drive down to Carmel to check in, then another three hours the next morning. So actually, this might work out better. We'll get, you know, we have to pay a little extra. We didn't expect to pay, but that's the way vacations go. You know that. So the new plan was we, we found a hotel near the San Francisco airport that was relatively inexpensive, nice hotel, but, you know, no, nothing crazy. Don't, like I said, the goal is to mitigate this mistake monetarily as much as you can. So we, we land on time, get to San Francisco, rent the car that we already had rented, stay at the hotel near the airport, get up the next morning, and leave for Napa. And we still got to Napa at the same time that we would have on our plan. And then we drove after two days down and executed the rest of that plan. Then drove down from Napa to Carmel and then spent Tuesday to Saturday in Carmel. So actually, the revised plan was better than the original. I guess because I had, I felt like while well, we had to check in down in Carmel, as opposed to maybe just saying, look, I'm, I'm going to, I want, don't, don't, we're not going to check in on that, on that Saturday, but uh, don't get rid of our reservation. We're coming. We're just going to be there a couple days later. And so in the midst of the immense stupidity, and, and I don't even know what to call it, just, you know, uh, stupidity, just being distracted or, or not paying attention, whatever it is that I did and I admit to. The other goal was, and this is a, maybe a lesson, okay, you go through that, old, you're, you know, the, self, you know you're, the self-punishment and realizing, but then take a deep breath, assess the reality of the situation, and come up with a plan B. And I'll tell you, I'm actually, the plan B was actually better than the plan A. I didn't expect to spend a little extra money on that hotel room. But in terms of time spent, plan B was pretty good. Considering how catastrophic it looked 12 hours before, when we're standing at the airline ticket counter at quarter after five, being told that our flight doesn't take off for 12 hours. <laughs> we had a 12-hour flight delay, but I can't blame the airlines on this one. <laughs> this was my fault. I caused the 12-hour delay. Not the weather, not the airlines, me. So check your facts. Look close what you do. And don't be too tough on yourself when you make a mistake. But have the peace of mind to, you know, punish yourself a while, but then give yourself a break 
take the blinders off and find a little more sensible way to proceed because we were so close to, to canceling that that trip and then we didn't. We found a better another way to do it. It worked out great and we had a great trip. But that's my home alone moment. That's my, I will remember the holiday season of 2023 forever. And I will remember that feeling when I went to the ticket counter and that agent told me, you know, that's a 7 p.m. flight. Merry Christmas. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you get to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion are much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed episode number 396. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen. You know that's a 7 p.m. flight.